Uh, do you guys know how lightning works? Um, it's really interesting how lightning works. It starts, well, it actually goes in both ways. And it starts small and ends up big. Hopefully you'll come to understand exactly what that means as we go through today. Because that is lightning. Can you see it? It's amazing, isn't it? You know what? We are here today because God has done something incredible. Because way back when, when there seemed to be nothing happening, something happened. God said, although you are dead and in darkness, I'm going to bring my power to bear. And God came and made incredible promises. Abraham, who we heard of, was one of those people that he made promises to that he would bless the whole earth, that he would bring people back into relationship with him. It was an incredible thing, and, and through the centuries and through the years, God made new promises. He, he made promises to David, and, and we're looking down, here's the ground at the bottom, and it just looks like God is doing an amazing thing. And the years go on, and the years go on, and the years go on, and the years go on. You say they don't? They do. The years go on. And the years go on. 400 years since the last written prophecy of God. And it seems like, like it's coming to an end. Yeah, it was impressive at the start, but you can hardly make it out now. A little bit of, ooh, back where it started, but who knows? You see, for Luke, he knows that God's story of his acting begins in this kind of way. It's this massive announcement, and then it kind of slows down. And then what's happening here is, is God's plan starting to kick into overdrive. The story in Luke chapter 1, uh, I'll just read highlights of it today, is the story of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. They're an old couple. They are both of the priestly family of descendants of Levi. They, they are a, a righteous couple, Luke tells us. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. They were careful to obey all of his commandments and regulations. But they had no children, verse 7, because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very, very old. These are people who loved God. They knew that knowing God was the best thing ever, but, but at the same time, they had a, a degree of disappointment with God. Because their one desire when they, when they uh, lived their lives together was to have a child. Two reasons for that. One, that's how your family continued. That's how your family name continued. Their family name would die out. And secondly, in that society, people would look at you and go, well, God is judging you. Obviously, you are a sinner and a scumbag. And they had to put up with this disgrace. In fact, in verse 25 of Luke, Elizabeth calls it a disgrace. The disgrace from society, this spiritual disgrace that they placed on her. And yet God says this was a righteous couple. Not, 
not sinless, but righteous. They loved God despite their circumstances. By this stage, they, they, they are well into retirement. They've given up on their dreams of many years ago. No doubt they had prayed, but no doubt they had stopped praying. There's a time when it's stupid to ask for something that cannot happen, isn't there? Many of us, like Elizabeth and Zechariah, can love God and yet still have disappointments with God. Why has God let this happen? Why does God let me go through this? Why doesn't God spare me from that? Does God really love me when life is tough and hard and unfair, when shame and guilt is huge? Can God step in and bring joy and happiness despite our disappointment? Or are we just there to say, God, you're fantastic. I don't understand why you have to put me through this, but I guess you're wonderful. We can allow pain and disappointment to destroy us and rob our joy in the Lord or we can know that true joy isn't having our dreams fulfilled, but in having our dream be God. Sometimes God lets us go through troubles and trials and difficulties. Because we live in a fallen, broken world. We live, oh, what's happened? Can I put my pictures back? Thanks, Wayne. <laughs> we live in this world over here where, you know, yeah, God's impressive, but I'm going to worship him for that, and it's incredible, and there are still some disappointments. I would have liked to see like a big lightning strike, and, and it's just, it's fizzled. And what God does, and it's incredible, and this is, I think Zechariah and Elizabeth knew this, is that God can take the, pi- the pain of living in a broken world and he can meld it into this beautiful melody with minor notes, but it's just hauntingly beautiful. But God is the great musician, and sometimes, just sometimes, he takes those minor chords, those sad notes, and he turns them into joy. He turns them into something incredibly beautiful. God steps into the mess. And that's the story of Christmas. And that's the story of salvation. Zechariah is one of the uh, uh, probably 18,000 priests at this time. They go into Jerusalem for about a week. They do service there. And and he gets this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It says here, one day Zechariah was serving God in the temple. His order was on duty. As was the custom, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. Zechariah is chosen, uh, it, it seems by chance, but, but really we're looking back and go, this is God arranging a meeting of people and circumstances to do something incredible. He enters to pour incense and burn incense representing the prayers of the people. Zechariah's job would be to go in there and no doubt he would be praying to God. Now, if, if this was a romantic story, he'd be praying, Oh, God, if only I had a son, God. Look, this bloke was 70 or 80 years old. There's no way he's going in there praying, Oh, God, may my decrepit wife have a son. No, what he's doing there, he's, he's doing 
the job of a priest, which is to go in and say, God, save your people. Forgive us. Show your power in all of its might and its glory, God, because at the moment it looks powerful and incredible, but God, we want more of that. And as he looks up, he sees this angel there, and angels are frightening. He's terrified. And Gabriel looks at him and says, well, calm your farm, relax, think about it. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Now, we're not Greek, so we don't get their grammar, but I'm told that the grammar there says the prayer is a singular event in the recent past tense. In other words, he's not saying, Zechariah, God's heard your prayers from about 50 years ago when you prayed for a son. No, he's saying, Zechariah, God has heard your prayer now. What would he have been praying? God has heard your prayer for him to come and act and show his power and save his people and rescue them and set them free. God has heard your prayer, Zechariah. And incredibly, he's going to answer that prayer. And part of that answer is going to be answering the prayer you gave up on years ago. The one where you thought, God is good and I'm just going to have to live with this broken world. He says, no, in this particular case, in this particular case, Zechariah, God is going to break through and do something new and incredible, not just for his people, not just for the world, but for you as well. God steps into the disappointment of Zechariah and Elizabeth and in undoing the big problem of the world, he undoes their little problem as well. Isn't God amazing that he does things like that? John, this child that is to be born, says Gabriel. What does he say? He says, your wife Elizabeth will give you a son. You are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth because he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never drink, touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a, ma a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. In other words, he's saying, Zechariah, your son, your unexpected son, is going to be this last link before God does what he's promised, before the amazingness of what God has planned comes to fruition. This is you over here, Zechariah. And your son is this last link announcing that God is about to act. Now, Zechariah is a righteous man. And so he turns to Gabriel and he says, Ah, Gabriel, may it be with me as you have said. Wait, wrong story. No. Zechariah turns and says, oh, Gabriel, man, what have you been smoking? Have you seen my wife? Have you seen me? This is impossible. It's great news, but I can't risk it. And isn't that how we act when God says, I'll do this for you. We go, wow, that's fantastic, but what, what if you won't? God says, I freely forgive you your sins. I welcome you into my kingdom. We go, wow, I cannot believe it. No, literally, I can't believe it. Why would you do that, God? That's not how I treat people. That's not how treat, people treat me. What about, 
the two on the road to Emmaus after Jesus' resurrection. Some woman had seen him. They come back, reported, Jesus is alive! And these two blokes go, wow! Let's go home! It's too good to be true. Or my favorite story, Peter's in jail and the church is praying desperately. Lord, set him free, release him. And Peter said, free, by an angel. And he comes and knocks at the door and the servant girl says, and she goes in and they go, no, don't be stupid girl. We're praying for his release. He's not actually free. It's too good to be true. This is what's happening here. It's too good to be true. And Gabriel says, okay, let's get our priorities right. Lovely, righteous man who doesn't know, have a clue who God is. I stand in his presence. If God says something, God says something. I'll give you the evidence you want. Shut up. (laughs) Nine months. He goes home. He's silent. Elizabeth falls pregnant. What would he have been thinking about for those nine months? Farming. Probably. But I reckon most of his time would be thinking about what this angel had said to him. And particularly that, that line where he said he'll be filled with the Spirit from before he is born. He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And then he hears the story of when Mary comes visiting and, and Elizabeth says that the, the child in her womb kicked joyfully. And then he hears uh, Elizabeth, his wife, is filled with the Holy Spirit and says that the child Mary's carrying is the Lord. Nine months and God is preparing Zechariah for Christmas. God is preparing Zechariah to understand the gospel. And we don't realize this in our translations, but when Gabriel spoke to him, Gabriel said to him, I'm giving you the gospel. The good news, Zechariah. This is where it starts. And for nine months, he thinks about it, I'm sure, and he, and, he, and he thinks about it, and he thinks about it. And then John is born. And everybody is impressed and amazed, and they're so happy. Uh, this is uh, just towards the end of the chapter. And they ask, on the eighth day, they go to Elizabeth and say, what's his name, thinking it's going to be a nice family name. And she says, well, no, his name will be John. And they go to Zechariah and go, Zechariah, sort your woman out. They forget he's only mute and they they sign to him. Maybe he was mute and deaf. We don't know. The word can mean both. But he writes down, he doesn't write his name will be John. He says his name is John. God has already decided it. And and as he writes that down, his, his voice opens. You know, God had seemed to be almost silent for 400 years. And suddenly there is noise. Zechariah was silent for nine months and then the silence broke. And he bursts into song. This is the most amazing song. Because you know the song is not about John, his son. He does sing about John. He's very proud to be the father of this child. But his song is not about John. His song mentions John. What does he do? 
He says, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, uh, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God faithfully without fear in holiness and righteousness as long as we live. And you, my little son, you will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. In other words, you, John, oh, you're not there. In other words, you, John, you're there. You are getting things ready. You, this is how lightning works. Ionized charge comes down from the sky towards the ground, finds the path of least resistance, finds the path down to the ground. And when it hits the ground, this massive charge travels along that path. You see, this, this is kind of what John is doing. He's making ready a people for the Lord. And when Jesus comes something incredible happens. Listen to what he says. He says, you will be the prophet of the Most High. You will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. Even when he mentions John, he, he can't stay there. He just has to go back to where his heart is most thrilled. His heart is most thrilled that God has acted. The big picture is what captures his heart. As much as he loves his son, the big picture is what captures him. He looks at John and says, John, you are the rooster crowing. You are the, the watchman calling the dawn. But the one who is the light is about to arrive. And he's going to change everything. He's, I mean, look at that. that that's, that's incredible, isn't it? When the light comes, it changes everything. And at that time, those who live in this broken world will be able to follow God perfectly along the pathway to peace. What was darkness is bathed in light. You know, sometimes life disappoints. Sometimes we give up on God acting to heal our disgrace. But the fact is that God has acted and he has given us what we need most in this world. He's given us himself. Who came to save us from slavery and failure and fears. You know, years later, John grew up and he was baptizing people and calling them to repentance. And Jesus walked past and he said, look. No longer the, the thin, weedy lightning coming down preparing you guys. Look now. The one who comes, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Here is the one who will provide what I have been preaching. I mean, Jesus died for you and I. He lived the perfect life. He took our sin and then he died with it, and then he rose again on the third day, never to die again. And he told the church, I am coming back. 
Go tell the world. Go get people ready. And perhaps we're now at this point where we think, oh, yes, God has done an incredible thing in the past. But he's coming back. No matter the shame and disgrace that we might experience in this world, Elizabeth and Zechariah ask us to ask ourselves, is our dream most precious to us or is God? Does God need to get our attention in a pretty severe way to realize that the most incredible thing God can do is not answer our dreams, but can give us himself? When Jesus says he's coming back, and he said that 2,000 years ago, are we perhaps like Zechariah at the start of the story going, wow, that was, that was a great thought, that was a wonderful thing, but it would have been nice. Is it too good to be true? Because you know, there's one thing, if, if the lightning's coming down, going to happen. This is the story of Christmas. God making a way when it seemed that everything was fizzling out, and just when it seemed like it was gone. The unbelievable, incredible happened. May we remember that God can and has and will do that. And may we take joy that God, in answering the biggest need of this world, comes alongside us who live in it. Amen.